If you at least move in that direction, what will happen? Instead of waiting on the sidelines to get it all figured out, and you take a step, but then what happens is life reveals what's next. You're listening to the Redefining Wealth podcast with Patrice Washington. In today's episode, I sit down with transformational teacher Coot Blackson. He says there is magic in surrender. Hey there, this is Patrice Washington from patricewashington.com, where we chase purpose, not money. Welcome back to another episode of Redefining Wealth. And if you're brand new, here's what you need to know. This is a community that believes that wealth is so much more than just money and material possessions. We believe in the 12th century definition of wealth, which is the condition of well-being. And so every week, We focus on well-being in six pillars, and these are the areas of life that impact our finances, even when we're not thinking about it. If you need to get caught up, and I suggest you do, head to patricewashington.com forward slash start here. Again, the pillars can be broken down for you at patricewashington.com forward slash start here. Before we dive into this week's episode, it's brought to you by our Redefining Wealth private Facebook community. Yes, we have a community of purpose chasers from all over the globe. I don't believe that greatness can be created in isolation. You need people and you need like-hearted, not just like-minded folks around you. So join our free Facebook community at IamAPurposeChaser.com. You'll get to meet purpose chasers who are near you. Yes, in your own country, wherever you are. You can suggest show topics and guests and even get early access to upcoming events and programs. Purpose chasers always know first. So join us at IamAPurposeChaser.com. As you know, we're in the middle of the Let It Go series. And let me tell you, the guest today is going to help you let it go. Learn how to truly surrender. I can't believe it has taken this long for me to be introduced to the power that is Coop Blackson, but this episode will bless you. Get your notebook, be prepared to pause and ponder, be prepared to rewind. And I'm going to say, be prepared to listen to this multiple times because this guy brings it. He brings it. So let me give you his formal bio. Coop Blackson is a beloved inspirational speaker and transformational teacher. He's the author of the national best-selling book, You Are the One, and his newest book, The Magic of Surrender, is what we're talking about today. Coot is widely considered the next-generation leader in the field of personal development and offers a fresh, bold look at spiritual awareness for a whole new generation. His unique lineage lay the foundation for his approach to breaking down barriers and unlocking an individual's true gifts and greatness. Coot's mission is simple, to awaken and inspire people across the planet to access inner freedom, live authentically, and fulfill their true life's purpose. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Coot Blackson. Welcome to the Redefining Wealth podcast, Coot. Thanks for having me. So I have had a chance to just dive in to all things Coot, in particular, Uh your Instagram page. And I can't believe that we were not introduced sooner. 
Like, it does not make sense for us to not have met sooner. So I am super excited about this conversation. Um, We're in the middle of what we're calling our Let Go series or Let It Go series. And, you know, many of our listeners have been just having a hard time letting go of relationships, jobs, Mm. childhood trauma, just any of the experiences of the past. The title of your book, The Magic of Surrender which surrender is one of my favorite words. One of my favorite words, the magic of surrender, finding the courage to let go. Um, Just so well done. What a beautiful project that that you have here. What was the inspiration for the book for you in this season? Um, This was not the book I thought I was going to write. I thought I was going to write another book. Uh, I sat down one day with all sorts of, I, I had a whiteboard the size of a wall and I had all of these ideas and I was throwing all of these, what I thought were great ideas onto the board and thought, ah, oh, that people would love this title. They'd love this book. This would sell, that would sell. And one day, literally, I felt the, the soul of the book just show up. I'll never forget that day because it became so clear because I heard and I felt surrender so clearly. And it was so obvious yet. I can't believe I missed it, yet I was now resisting it. Like I was resisting what the book was seeking to be. And I realized that there was a a message and a book that was seeking to be written. Uh, And my job was to surrender to the book that was seeking to be written rather than the book I thought I should be writing. And it just felt aligned. And I knew it was about surrender. Even the title I didn't feel. And I had to surrender to the title. I had to surrender to the book title, but it all became very clear. And that's when the flow happened. And so the, the impetus, the inspiration for the book really happened at the end of 2016. My first book was a bestseller. I was traveling the world promoting the book. I get a phone call from my father. My father tells me that my mother was diagnosed with stomach cancer. My heart broke. Uh, I started to fly back from Los Angeles to London every month to be with my mother, to take care of my mother, to love her, to be in chemo treatments, you know, all of that good stuff. And uh, it was the best year of my life, the most difficult year. I had all of these intentions to keep her alive and I was going to put her on health protocols and find the best doctors. And probably within a month or so, I started to feel and realize that she was going to die. And no matter what I did, I was not in control. And that was a deep, uh, deeply humbling moment of letting go of grieving when you realize that the person you love the most, no matter what you do, they're dying and you're really not in control. And so I had to start grieving her death before she even died. She was alive for another 10 months. And, and so in that moment, I began to surrender, but I had such an amazing time being with her because then it freed me up to just love her fully. And there was probably six months into the process, the doctors finally acknowledged look, there's nothing else we can do. You have days, weeks, or months to live. We don't know how long, so make the most of your time. And I looked my mother in the eyes and I said, are you afraid? And she looked at me in the eyes, you know, just in the car. And she said, I'm not afraid because I know I'm not just this body, that what I am is a soul, is a spirit. I'm eternal. This body was just a vehicle that carries my soul. And if my mission is complete, my mission is complete, but I'll always be with you from the other side. She was fearless, you know, and then I looked her in the eyes and wanting to be a good son. I said to her, is there anything you need? Is there anything you want? Is there anything I can do for you? And this is when I think the seed of the book was planted. She looked me in the eyes and she said, there's nothing I need and there's nothing I want. 
I said, what do you want? She said, all I want is what God wants for my life. And I looked to her and I said, but, but what does that mean? And, and I realized she was not attached to living and she was not attached to dying. She was totally surrendered to the highest for her soul, God's will, life's will, you know, not even a religious sense, but just whatever was meant for her, she was surrendered to that. And she, she didn't cry. She didn't scream. She didn't feel like a victim. She didn't complain. She was in peace. I'd never seen a person in such peace during this death process. And I realized that the key to her freedom was she was surrendered. And I reflected on her life. And I realized that here was this Japanese, look, I was born in Ghana, West Africa. My father's from Ghana. My mother's Japanese. I grew up in London. And here was this Japanese woman who married this African guy in the mid-70s, my father, never having seen him, never having met him, never having spoken to him on the phone, never seen a picture of him, and agreed to marry him sight unseen, following her soul. To me, that's surrender. And I realized how she lived her whole life was surrender. And that's a whole other story, but how she lived her whole life was surrender. And this was her key. And then when she passed away, I felt her spirit communicating to me, you know, and, and showing me the different dimensions of surrender, what surrender really, really, really is to surrender. And I looked at the great ones, Jesus, Buddha, Bruce Lee, Muhammad Ali, Gandhi, Mother Teresa, Mandela, Oprah, Greta Thunberg, you know, Malaya Yousafzai, some of the modern day folks. And I realized at some point, all of the great ones, they all had to surrender themselves at some moment to life. They all had to let go of control and open to something bigger than themselves and allow life to live through them and move through them and create through them and express through them and love through them. They all surrendered themselves at some point. And in the surrender, life used them. In the surrender, life created through them. Life moved mountains through them because they were no longer limited to their own human, personal, personality, ego power. They opened and they tapped into the power of the universe, the power of life and grace flow. That's when magic and miracles happen. And so we often think that surrender is weak. Mm -hmm. You know, we often think that surrender is to be passive. If you surrender, you won't get what you want. If you surrender, you won't manifest your dreams. If you surrender, you're going to be broke. If you surrender, you're going to have to sell everything and live in the Himalayas. If you surrender, you know, you're going to be a doormat. I'm actually saying, no, no. What if you surrender and you actually got more, mm. more, more than you could imagine for yourself? And sometimes we think we know what we want. And we set our goals, dreams, and desires based on our ego mind, thinking that we know what we want. And yet, look, I'll say, you can manifest and create a great, a good life with your intention. But many times what we think we want is not what we really want. What we think we want is only what we think we want based on who we think we are, right? And so even our vision and our goals and dreams and desires, if we're not conscious, can be limited. And in fact, what life uh, wants for us and what life is seeking to express through us is often bigger than what we can even imagine for ourselves, but we're so often holding on to what we think we want that we're not really yeah. open to like the, the billions, the millions, yeah. the, 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 the impact that we can really have. And so 
just to clarify in the beginning of our conversation, to me, surrender is simply letting go of control, letting mm-hmm. go of trying to force life into what we think it should be, letting go of manipulating life, and just opening to letting go of the who we think we should be, the life we think we should have, uh, the relationship we think we should have, so that we can just open ourselves to the bigness of life that is seeking to happen and expressed through us and being available to that is living with openness, living with availability and trusting life. And so that's a bit about the surrender concept. Ooh, I told you, I can't <laughs> believe we haven't met sooner. I did an episode called you can't be selective with surrender. And one of the things that I talked about exactly the same is just, it's not about people think surrender is giving up. Mm. And it's not giving up. It's letting go of the control that Mm. you think you have over Mm. any and everything. Mm. In my own moment of surrender, the first time I remember really being in a place of letting go was in the hospital on bed rest, Mm. where I took a fall down the stairs at 20 weeks pregnant. And I went into full-blown labor, preterm labor. And they said, ma'am, I'm sorry. There's nothing we can do. And being in the hospital thinking I was going to lose my baby, but then saying, I surrender. Like, there's nothing that I can do. I'm going to pray, ask other people to pray, do the best I can. I was in the real estate and mortgage industry. Everything was shutting down and closing down. And I'm in the hospital watching the news as the banks are closing down one by one. And my doctor comes in and she's like, look, if you don't stop stressing out, you're going to leave here two years in a row with no baby because I had a son the year before who died prematurely. And that was the first time that I remember I was about 26 years old saying, I surrender. I surrender. I'm not in control. I can't force or manipulate or do nothing that I think I can do even matters. I'm just going to let go and let God. And literally like 10, I was on hospital bed rest for 10 weeks. They told me the baby was coming any minute now. I just watched that 13 year old girl run out the door this morning to get on the school bus. And every time I see her, it's such a great, a miracle, a miracle. Oh my gosh. One of the things that you say in the book is that in order to surrender, essentially we have to be able to make peace with our past. Mm. So I know that a lot of us live in what it should have been, what I could have done, what I should have said. There's so much conversation about things that happened yesterday, five years ago, 10 years ago. How does someone go about actually making peace with their past in order to be able to surrender? You know, look, ultimately, the past is the past. And no matter what you do or don't do, it's in the past. You can't change what happened. No matter how much you hold on, how much you judge, how much you scream, how much you curse, how much you resist, it's done. It's gone. So just realize that you can't control the past. It's happened already. It's in the past. All we can really do is control the moment and how we relate to ourselves in the moment and learn from the experiences of the moment, you know? I think two things. Number one is just a bigger context of realizing that we are souls. We are souls that incarnate into this human body, into this human experience to grow, learn, and evolve. We are here to grow, learn, and evolve. That's why we incarnated here, to learn, to evolve, to grow. And to me, life, I see life as a classroom for our soul's evolution. 
If life is a university, every single situation, every single relationship, every single experience, every single person, everything is really the soul's curriculum to grow, learn, and evolve the lesson, to grow, learn, and evolve in the lessons that we need to grow, learn, and evolve in. And if that's the case, and you understand the real purpose of life, then everything that's happened in your past is a part of that lesson. Everything that happened in your past is a part of that curriculum. Everything that happened in your past. And so if we were meant to do it perfectly, we wouldn't even have to incarnate here. We would be floating in the heavens somewhere. We wouldn't have to be here. And so we have to realize that we're here to go learn and evolve. And the only way we can go learn and evolve is through situations, experiences, and relationships. And we ain't going to do it perfectly. Just like when you went to classroom and you did your mathematics or you did your trigonometry or you did your you know, exam, you didn't get 100%. You weren't meant to get 100%. Very few people get 100%. You know, Maybe Buddha got 100%, but even Buddha probably, until he became Buddha, didn't get 100%. And so to me, the goal is not perfection. The goal is growth and the goal is evolution. And so I think what's important when you look at your past is you realize, ah, the purpose is growth and evolution. I'm in a classroom that gives you a different way of relating to those experiences and, and really focus instead on, okay, it happened, but what can I learn? Yes. What can I learn? How can I grow? How can I evolve? How can I be better? You know, what was that situation teaching me about myself? Why did I attract that relationship, that, dam- that, that dynamic where I allowed certain things to happen or where I, why I did certain things? What can I learn? What can I- and learning those lessons now, can I forgive myself? Mm. Can I forgive the other person? Because ultimately, we're all doing the best that we can do based on the level of our consciousness in a particular moment. And believing what you believe, believing what they believe, based on our conditioning and experience, we can only respond how we respond in that moment until our consciousness expands so that we can do something else that doesn't condone what we did, that doesn't make it okay, that doesn't mean there's not certain amends that we need to make and apologies that we need to make and certain things we need to, to, to fix. But for the most part, if we screwed up, we've got to learn, we've got to grow, we've got to take responsibility for that within ourselves, take ownership for that. That also then might mean making amends by having a communication with somebody and apologizing. That also might mean, you know, rectifying or or taking action in a situation to bring that situation back into balance. Maybe you owe someone money and so you need to go pay them back and and take the responsibility in the physical world, you know, to, to bring it back into balance. And so do all those things. But ultimately realize that life is, is about learning. It's a classroom. And I think when we really understand that, it can shift how we hold ourselves so that we can free ourselves up more to, to let things go, to mm-hmm. let ourselves go. Because when we don't let go and we keep judging ourselves for what we did, many times unconsciously, we will unconsciously punish ourselves what we did or didn't do or thought we should have did and we'll be unconsciously punishing ourselves in the present and in the future future relationships future situations future abundance because maybe we don't feel we're worthy maybe we're still judging ourselves and so i think it to to, to really surrender is to let go one of the things to surrender to is to see surrender is a death surrender is a death it's a death of the old it's a death of the old identity. It's a death of the old dream. It's a death of an old way of being. Surrender is the open-hearted participation with the process and experience of life that is happening. Open-hearted participation. And so to really move into that, 
we have to allow the phase or the process of grieving. Grieving. Many times we don't really move into true surrender because we don't allow the grieving. Sometimes we get to a place of acceptance. Okay, it is what it is. It happened. They did what they did, but screwed them. It happened. It is what it is, but I hate them. You know, we're accepting, but we're still a little mad. But to really let go and move into true surrender, we have to honor the grieving, the real grieving, the grieving the end of a relationship, grieving the end of a dream, grieving the end of a way of being, grieving the end of a phase of one's life, grieving the end of youth, grieving the old so that we can truly let the old be in the old and then we can truly open to the new. The challenge is many times we don't fully allow the grieving because number one, we're afraid it will last forever. <laughs> you know, maybe number two, we're afraid if we really grieve, uh, it's going to be too much and we're going to just mm. die, you know? So, so I won't be able to handle it. Sometimes we don't allow ourselves to grieve and as a result, let go because we're afraid. If I grieve my mother's death, or if I grieve the death or the end of a relationship, I'm going to actually have to let them go. I'm going to have to acknowledge that my mother's really dead. But if I don't grieve it and I, and I, and I deny it, I don't grieve it, then somehow I can live in denial and, and hold on to that person, hold on to my mother, hold on to that old relationship. So sometimes not letting go, not grieving is an unconscious way to hold on to someone as a way to get a false connection. We have to be mm -hmm. aware of that, but we're not aware. Also, sometimes we don't fully allow the grieving, which keeps us stuck from letting go, is we do what I call a spiritual bypass. What I mean by that is, okay, Patrice, I want to stay, stay in a high vibration, high vib law of attraction, high vibration, high vibe, high vibe, high vibe. Let's stay in a high vibe, everyone. Woo -woo. And so I don't want to feel the grief. That's not a high vibe. So let me deny the grief. But in the denial of the grief, in an effort to stay high vibe, we suppress it. And all feelings remain present till fully felt. So all that does is the energy, the heaviness of the grief doesn't go anywhere. It stays stuck in our body, in our heart, in our nervous system. And now we carry that heaviness with us into our present day, into our future. And then since everything is energy, what we will tend to manifest even though we're trying to not manifest, it's experiences that are resonating with the heaviness of the grief that we haven't processed. That is the mm -hmm. real law of attraction. You don't just attract what you pray about or meditate about, or visualize about or affirm about or write down in your journal. You attract what you are by right of consciousness and you attract a reciprocal energetic match consistently to where you are vibrationally resonating at. So to truly let go, if you want to truly manifest the next level, you've got to feel the grief. You've got yeah. to grieve the old and you've got to let the old layers go. So feel it, create the space in your life daily to feel it, to move through it, to release it, not to wallow in it, but to, to take responsibility and feel your feelings with awareness because all feelings have a cycle. And when you feel those feelings fully and completely, you can take the label off because sometimes we have all these judgments of grief and sadness. Yeah. Don't even label them. Just Feel the sensations of the grief in your body or whatever the feeling is and just feel it, tune into it, experience it, let it move through and it begins to dissolve. All feelings will begin to dissolve when felt fully. 
And when we can mm-hmm. do that, then we can begin letting go. Then we can begin moving through without resistance. Oh, so good. So good. From my experience, another reason I believe people don't necessarily want to deal with the grief is because the story Mm. that surrounds whatever led up to the grief, Mm. they're usually attached to the story. Mm -hmm. The going around and telling the story, reiterating the story, reliving the story so that they could get whatever reaction they want to get or allow it to make an excuse for something else, like allow it to be the reason. No, see, I would have done that. But if, if, right? And it's like, well, you haven't surrendered, right? You haven't let go yet of this thing, but you keep telling it. I know people who tell stories, I don't know about you, but I know people who tell stories today, like they happened yesterday. It's the victim. It's the victim identity. It's an addiction. It's an, it's an addiction because the, the ego uses the story to reinforce its identity and identity and holding on is part of what reinforces the ego's existence. So telling the story over and over and over reinforces the ego's identity and that gives it a sense of I exist. This is the job of the ego. Mm. <laughs> it's an addiction, though. It becomes an it becomes an addiction that we 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 buy into to reinforce the sense of I'm real, I exist, and that's the job of the ego. The ego is not necessarily real. The ego is made up. Ego is not like real. Like here's a phone. Is written. No, no. Ego is a. Uh, process of identifying ourselves as name as label as body as emotion as memories as past experiences that we hold on to that get reinforced over and over again and the more we hold on to the sense of me through victimhood through stories through then the more solid we feel in our own sense of self but it's not really us. You are not the ego, you know? And so mm-hmm. we, we often don't realize that, but end up stuck living inside of the prison of ego. Then, we, then we're limited by it. And so, yes, it can be an addiction. And I would tell people, I, I would encourage people to stop reinforcing the story by telling the story. Because you're right. What we sometimes do is we, we, we find any friend who we can go to and say, hey, 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 Patrice. You know, yeah, you know what happened? You know what he did to me? Mm, let me tell you what he did to me. Okay, okay. Hey, Susie, let me, can I tell you what John did? Let me tell he just he just screwed me. Oh, and we start telling the story, and that just reinforces our sense of self and our sense of being right and our positionality, which gives us a sense of identity. Mm. Now, one of the things that we've found is that when you get to this place of of not dealing with the grief, not surrendering, I see it as a block to people yeah. just acknowledging their purpose. I don't believe in people looking for purpose because it's already there, right? But I do think that it blocks people from being able to just see what already is, what's mm. already around, what's already to be experienced. How 
do you connect the work that you do with purpose in particular? Because I know you hear it too. I'm looking for my purpose. I'm searching for my purpose. I'm out trying to find my purpose when the truth is, it it just is. We're already here. Yeah. So, so, so I think many times we're not able to really tune in to what our purpose is. And we're trying to find our purpose from the lens or perspective of the conditioned ego identity. So the ego identity, who we think we are, which is programmed and conditioned from our parents and then their grandparents and then our generation and our culture and the town we're brought up in and media and society and cousins and uncles and, you know, religion and everything is now created a sense of identity and who we think we are. And now from that limited uh, sense of self, we're trying to decipher and figure out our purpose. So you can see how limited it is. And so from that limited perspective, like this is who I am, okay, what's my purpose? So we're not able to see the full authentic possibility of what our true purpose is. So many times we manufacture a purpose that we think is our purpose based on our parents, our society, media, social media. We manufacture a purpose that we think is our purpose, that's not really our purpose, only to live that purpose, only to then realize, this is not my purpose. That wasn't uh, me. <laughs> that, that wasn't me. This is not what I really want. I don't want. I don't want to really be doing this. And so what we think our purpose is not necessarily really our purpose. In terms of purpose, I'd like to just break a few things down because I think you hit something important. From a spiritual perspective, I said we incarnate into this human experience with souls. Purpose of life is growth, evolution, learning, lessons. That's the purpose of life. Purpose of life is to grow, learn, and evolve. If you really understand that deeper spiritual level of purpose, then really every single moment of your life, every being on the toilet, being in that relationship, taking care of your kid, you know, in that challenging situation, every moment of your life is a classroom and a curriculum that is your purpose to learn the lesson for why you attracted that and to grow and evolve. So no matter what you're doing, so long as you're growing, learning, and evolving and becoming more of who you really are, you're living your purpose, the purpose of existence. You are living it, doing it. You are a success. Mm. That's the spiritual level of what I would say. Now, to make it more human and practical, just for like, I want to find my purpose, I would say stop looking for your purpose. Looking for your purpose. You know, so many books will say, oh, do all these things to find your purpose. And many of us, we are waiting. We're waiting. We're waiting for some future moment where the purpose just flows down from the heavens, floats into your lap, like in a little bowl and says, here's your purpose. And we're, looking, we're trying to find our purpose. So, so ego, we're trying to, from the perspective of the ego, we're trying to like find our purpose. Like it's something that you find. But what we have to understand is the ego wants to seek. It wants to seek. And the job of the ego is to seek and 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 to, they say seek and seek and, to, and never find. The ego doesn't want to find. It doesn't want to find because the moment it finds, then its job is done. Because seeking is what reinforces the ego sense of I exist. So why the hell would it want to find anything, right? And so stop seeking your purpose. What I would say is, you don't have to know what your purpose is in order to live your purpose. 
Move in the direction. This is now going practical. Move in the direction. Feel what you love. Feel, feel what lights you up. Feel what turns you on. Feel what brings you on fire. And go in that direction. If you at least move in that direction, you go in that, dire- that trajectory and you take a step. What will happen? Instead of waiting on the sidelines to get it all figured out, which is a protective mechanism, right? It, it go in the direction. Because when you take a step, then what happens is life reveals what's next in the process of living life. Then you take another step, then life reveals what's next in the process of living life. Then you take another step, life reveals what's next in the process of living life. Then you take another step, life reveals, and all of a sudden, you, you take another step. And if you don't take that step because you're waiting over here to try and figure it out, then you don't take that step. You don't go on the journey. You don't meet who you need to meet. You don't go through the challenges you need to go through. You don't learn and evolve and become more than you were because you're busy sitting on the sidelines. If you don't take that step and you don't learn and become more, then you don't evolve. You don't evolve. You're not ready for the next step. So we're standing on the sidelines wanting the fulfillment of our purpose, but we haven't taken step one to develop. It's, It's like wanting to lift. 500 pounds, but you haven't lifted 10 yet. You want to lift 500, but you're, you're not ready for 10. Universe can't give you 500. You know, Mandela didn't become Mandela just when he woke up at 27 years old. He had to spend 27 years. Let me repeat, that's two seven, 27 years in prison so that he could take the step to meditate, to pray, to vision, to write, to forgive, to develop the empathy to become the Nelson Mandela that had the sole force to move the world. So if we don't take the step, we don't become what's next. We don't become what's next. The next level doesn't become accessible, but when we take the step. So purpose is revealed to us in the process of living life. And then then all of a sudden, we will find at some point, if we take the step, next step, next step, next step, next step, we will end up living into our purpose we will end up living into our purpose. There's four questions to break it down even more practically that I throw out to people to then now take it to as, let's say, granular practical level. Four questions you can ask yourself. Number one, what do I love? What turns me on? What would I do for free? You know, what makes me most alive? That can point you in the direction of your tangible, physical expression. Number two, look at what specific skill sets you have. What tangible skills do you have? Because I might say to you, I love basketball, but I'm two foot one and, I've, and I can barely play. Everything is possible, but you're probably not going to the NBA, you know? And so look at what real skills you have based on your life experience, everything from your life, every up, every down, every failure, every success, every trauma, every breakup, everything you've been through is part of the perfect preparation of life preparing you so that you can fulfill your purpose. So what skills do you have tangibly? Now we're breaking down practically. Number three, look at what unique gifts you have that you're able to solve by adding value to people's lives. See, a lot of people, when they think of purpose, they think about how can I make money? How can I make money? How can I make money? Where's the the money to be made, Patrice? Where is it to be made? I want to to make some cash. Come on, okay. But you see, true wealth doesn't, does, does not develop. Anyone that developed true wealth, they focused on solving a pain, problem, or challenge. And money is a byproduct of adding value, and you add value when you solve pain, problem, or challenge. 
People want to hate on Jeff Bezos, but Jeff Bezos solved pain problems or challenges for a lot of people. I push one click. This is not a commercial, but I push one click. Amazon Prime, <laughs> that, that stuff shows up tomorrow. I'm like, wow, wow. That, that's, that, that's kind of valuable. That's valuable. <laughs> and so we want to make money, but we don't want to add value. And sometimes what we think is value is not really valuable because it's not really solving anyone's pain problem or challenge. It's just making us happy. That's well, great. Cool. This is why I say there's a difference between just passion and purpose. See, because we've been sold the lie. Well, let me go follow my passion and the money will come. But you can be, it has to intersect. You can be passionate about something that you're not proficient in. Skills, skills. You're not skilled, right? You can be passionate about something, but it doesn't serve a purpose for others. It 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 doesn't help anyone else. It's not helping. Like, I'm glad that you love your socks. But if it ain't solving someone else's problem, right? I'm glad you love, you know, your cookies. But if it's not solving someone's pain, problem, or challenge, it's not adding value. Money is a function of solving someone's pain, problem, or challenge. So look at the unique, what you're uniquely qualified in to solve a pain, problem, or challenge. Because that could show you where some of your purpose might lie. Look at Elon Musk, solved pain, problem, or challenge. Jeff Bezos, solved pain, problem, or challenge, you know. So This is key, adding true, real value. Number four, I would say look at the community of people that you feel a natural soul affinity to. Uh, Maybe you just, for no reason, you just feel a connection to single mothers. Maybe you just feel a connection to the blind people. Maybe you feel a connection to the elderly. Maybe you feel a connection to, to... to the cats and dogs, you know, maybe feel the connection to the the, the 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 orphan children. I think we have this connection with this group of people because maybe our on a spiritual level, maybe our soul has a an agreement, and so that might might point you. And it's not a formula, but it might point you in the direction of where you can serve, mm-hmm. where your purpose might lie. So I would just say go in that direction on a practical level, and then. The key to surrender is you allow life. Here's the key to surrender. Allowing life to show you. We're sitting here. We're trying to control life. We we sit in our prayer meditation. God, let me tell you how it's going to go down. I'm going to pray for this, this, this. And and the universe is looking at us, been around for billions of years going, I created this whole existence. (laughs) Right. Billions of years before you were born. And we're trying to tell the universe how things are going to run. And so I think it's really important that we allow ourselves to feel and allow life to show us. And if we're open, because sometimes we think, ah, oh, this is what my purpose is, and we get attached. Now we're not open, right? Then the universe is trying to point us over here, but we say, no, 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 no. I have to do this. The universe is pointing us, no, 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 no. I got to do this. But the universe is trying to point us. So I think if we can stay open, surrender is being open and curious to say, okay, life, you show me. And as life shows me, and as it feels real, I'm going in in that direction. So rather than pushing life, we're led by life and guided by life. And that is, that is, I think, how we can live into our purpose and live surrender. Uh, Yes. Yes. Be led to the next best step. You know, you talked about taking the step, the next step, be led to the next best step. I think a lot of times we're so attached to how the entire thing has to turn out. And I'll tell you, if I knew Uh that this is where I would be, I probably would have run in the other direction. You wouldn't have started, right? I wouldn't have started. I would have yeah. I would have overwhelmed myself because right. it would have been about my own power. Yes. And it would have been my own strength. And it would have been yes. like, 
Well, God, I don't know how to write a book. Well, right. I don't know how to start a podcast. Well, I don't know how to do national television. Well, I don't know the first thing about doing speaking tours. Well, I, I would have overwhelmed. But exactly. when it was just, who can I serve? That's what it. gifts do I have to offer? What am I naturally good at? What excites me and gives me energy? Literally, as I've gone down this path, it's been the next best step. Okay. And then you're exposed to new people, new ideas, new opportunities, new ways of thinking. And then the next best step is open. And we say it here on the podcast all the time. Uh, Lisa Nichols was a mentor of mine and she taught me never be uh, attached, right? So you can be committed to pursuing this bigger vision for your life, but never be attached to how you get there. The moment you become attached. Closed. It's closed. You're not open. You can't then, see. Then, then we then we end up limiting. We end up limiting life. We end up the universe is trying to flood us with blessings. We end up going, no, 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 it's got to be this way. But maybe it's meant to be this way. And and so often from the perspective of the ego or the limited mind, we cannot see the entire picture. It's like looking at an art piece and we see the corner, but we don't see how it connects and everything connects to the entire tapestry of unfolding of our destiny. And so we think we think that we see what we see and know what reality is, but our seeing is actually limited. And so I think when we can just stay open, say, okay, here's the key to surrender, is giving up the need to know. The mind is always needing to know everything. We've got to know, we've got to know what does this mean? What is this relationship? Where's this going? What is it not? What, I mean, we're trying to like predict and know everything. We go to psychics, go to astrologers, trying to like tell me what's going to happen. And the truth is, none of us know. So sometimes we think we know, but what we think we know really isn't it, you know? And so I think if we can let go of the need to constantly know and project and then attach to that knowing and then embrace the unknown, the degree of freedom we experience in our life is in direct proportion with our ability to dance and embrace the unknown. Then we're open. And it doesn't mean you're lazy and you don't, it means you feel the truth of your soul and you move in that direction, giving 100% to being fully open. I was saying to someone the other day, we trust Siri, you know, Siri, we trust Siri. Hey, Siri. More than we trust our soul. How do we trust Siri more than we trust our soul? Siri says, mm-hmm. turn left. We turn left. We don't even question Siri. Siri says, turn right. Turn right. We don't question. She says, jump over the bridge into the, into the ocean. We just go. But, but our soul says, hey, 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 write that book. We start questioning. No, 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 no. Me? What? Are you sure? And so I think if we can start to trust bigger than our minds, trust our souls, trust the deeper impulse, that there is an intelligence that is living you. But see, right now, if you cut your finger, see, some people might say, but I don't believe in the invisible. Don't believe in the invisible. Just check your body right now. You and I were having this conversation. You've been breathing. I've been breathing. Everyone listening. You check your body. You've been breathing in spite of yourself. You didn't have to pray. You didn't have to meditate. You didn't have to do any special affirmation. You didn't have to visualize. You didn't even have to be a good person. But breath has been happening. Breath is happening inside of you right now, every breath, every moment. This is living proof that there is an intelligence at work. Right now, if you just go into, let's not get mystical. Let's just get real, biological. Tune into your body. There are trillions, with a T, trillions of processes happening inside right now. 
eyes, nose, processes, digestion. Maybe you had an apple this morning or a banana this morning. How is that you ate this banana or apple and your ear doesn't turn into a banana? How? There's an intelligence inside that knows what to do. You cut your finger, infinite, innate intelligence inside knows how to bring your body back into harmony. It just knows. And we can't trust that. Look at this, like, so tune into your body every day and feel it. Then look at nature. Look at the sun. Is there ever been a day that you woke up and the sun was not shining? I've never seen it. You wake up 10 a.m., pitch black. What happened? And the sun just forgot to wake up. We wanted a vacation. It never, it never happens. There's a rhythm of nature. There's a cycle of nature. The same intelligence that is functioning the sun and functioning the moon and breathing your body and, and functioning 8 billion people and all dimensions of existence to me is the same intelligence that knows how to fulfill itself through you and through me if we just trust and get ourselves out the way. And it's not like we don't have any proof. We just look at life. I mean, it's happening. It's going on. It's, got, it's like we got proof. But we've forgotten that we are a part of nature, you know? And I really believe that when we truly surrender to life, this process, what life can do through you and what life can do through me is more than what we can do on our own. Look what it did through Gandhi. Look what it did through Mother Teresa. Look what it did through Jesus. Look what it did through Muhammad Ali. Look what it did through Mandela. They, they, they tapped into the force of the universe and the universe moved through them. And to me, that's the magic, you know, that's the magic of surrender. If we want more magic, Truly more magic, and I'm not here to say what magic should be for you, but more love, more joy, more abundance. If you want more magic, then we've got to surrender. Mm. Be open, be available, allow. What's so beautiful about what you just said too is that yes, we all know the names that you just listed, but they were ordinary people. They were ordinary. Who chose to surrender. Don't hear the name and because you've heard the name go, well, they're special. No, 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 no. They were ordinary people who chose to surrender and chose to be used and chose to not wait for perfection before they made a move in the right direction. We know their names today because because they they made a choice to surrender. They they, they surrender. See, a lot of times when people look at them and go, oh, but Mandela was was chosen. He was special. It's to me, it's a cop out. And it's a it's an abdication of responsibility when we go, they're special. And when we say that, that kind of takes us off of the hook from having to do it ourselves. Because Mother Teresa was special. Gandhi was special. Well, they were no different than us. And that's why to me, surrender is the password to greatness, is the password to freedom, is the password to the next level. There comes a moment in our life where the life that we have created for ourselves is too small for what our soul is seeking to become. And in that moment, we can hold on to the old and the safety, or we can trust that something, a great force, is seeking to express through us and really trust that to live through us. And so what happens when we allow life? I'm not saying we have to know, but what happens when we allow life to live through us? See, many times we live the limited question. We've asked ourselves the question, what do I want, right? What do I want? What do I want for myself? What do I know what you, the, the, the books say, know what you want, know what you want. Know what, what, so what do I want? Okay, cool. Personal question. I say that's personal power, ego-based, fair enough. And you can create a life that's quite good based on 
getting clear on what you want. But I'm actually asking everyone a bigger question, to ask this question. What is it that life wants to express through me? What is it that the universe wants to manifest through me? What is it that life wants to create through me? What is the book that life wants to create through me? What is the, vi- what is the vision that life wants to express through me? What is the purpose that life wants to move through me? And to really then open ourselves beyond ego, open ourselves to life, to become fully available to feel that so that we can allow life to live us. That's when we go beyond ourselves and access greatness. We're all, we're all great because we're mm-hmm. all a part of life, you know? Yeah. Cool. Man, I knew this was going to be good. Woo! <laughs> you have blessed us today. I, before I let you go, I want to ask you a few Please, redefining wealth, rapid wisdom questions. So you're going to tell us the first thing that comes to mind. I'll do my best. All right. How do you define success? Success is the expansion and growth and learning of the lessons, um, the evolutionary learning of the lessons in every situation where we are becoming more and more of our authentic self. Mm. Yeah. The degree to which we learn the lessons and we become more of our authentic self is success. That's real success. Because you can have a zillion dollars and be miserable and not living your purpose. I don't know if that's success. Mm-hmm. How do you define wealth in three words or less? Three words. Oh, three words? <laughs> or less. <laughs> or less? <laughs> wealth, I would say... I don't know if I'm going to hit three words, but wealth, true wealth is how you feel about yourself and how you feel about who you are and being, this is not more than, this is more than three words. I'm, <laughs> this I'm, I'm, this I'm is 39 words. I, I, I'm, I'm cheating. I'm cheating. Uh, I'm definitely cheating on this one. I'm not surrendered to the three words. On this <laughs> but, 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 but real wealth is, I think, when we are in touch with our true soul, our, the true source of what we are, then we're in touch with real wealth, you know, our being, our essence. Mm-hmm. That's 7,000 words. <laughs> yeah, we're up to 62 words now. No. <laughs> What's one book that has helped you redefine wealth? As a kid, I read a book by a man called Stuart Wilde, W-I-L-D-E, The Trick to Money is Having Some. I think one of the best books on true wealth because it's wealth as a, as a state of being. Wealth mm-hmm. is a state of being. Wealth is a state of being. Six words. You see, wealth is a state of being. <laughs> yeah, and so The Trick to Money is Having Some is a really powerful book on the metaphysics of wealth. Powerful book. Love it. We'll definitely link to that in the show notes, guys. And here's the last one. It's fill in the blank. My name is, and to me, the truth about wealth is. My name is Coot. Blackson, and the truth about wealth is there's no limits, you know? We don't live in a universe of scarcity. We live in a universe of abundance. Amen. And, and, and the more you give, the more you receive. Yes. Coot, it has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for blessing our audience today. 
Where can folks find you? Where yeah, do you want us to yeah. send them? A uh, couple of ways. Number one, you know, you can check out my book uh, available on www.themagicofsurrender.com. Get some free gifts. Obviously, I'll take it to Amazon, but a bunch of free gifts there. Um, my main website, kublaxon.com. Uh, my other website for one of my events, uh, www.boundlessblissbali.com. And then Instagram and Facebook. Awesome. Thank you so much, Coot. We appreciate you. Thanks for having me. All right. How many times did you pause? How many times did you have to pause and say, oh, wait a minute, run that back? Was Coot not phenomenal? Absolutely phenomenal. There were so many takeaways from this episode. Everything from just recognizing that our ego doesn't want us to find. It wants us to seek and seek and seek, and we have to be aware of that. The reminder that purpose is revealed to us in the process of living life. One of the things I say in Purpose to Platform and even in Command the Stage, my two programs, is just that clarity comes in the doing, right? Purpose evolves. The more that we do, the more we get to see what's possible, And I just love the way Coop broke that all down and asking yourself the question, what is it that life wants to create through me? Not just what do I want, but what does life want to create through me? Oh my gosh. Again, this is so powerful. Listen to it again, but share it with three friends. Share it with people in your immediate circle that can have a great conversation with you about this. Because mm, our inability to surrender is blocking us, I believe, from truly experiencing peace and love, joy, contentment, fulfillment. That wanting to hold on to the story or hold on and not deal with the grief, all those things are preventing us from truly living the life that we were created to live And The Magic of Surrender is a brilliant book. Please pick it up, add it to your collection. You may be tired of me introducing you to all these books, but here's the thing. You have no excuse. You have no excuse. You listen to this podcast, but the books are the way that you can actually make what you're learning here practical and tangible. So pick up the book, do the exercises, go through the questions, Check Coot out on Instagram, Facebook, wherever you like to play and just keep this conversation going. It's it's one that we all need. I appreciate you guys so much. You can find me in social media at Seek Wisdom PCW. Don't forget to rate and review the podcast and you can come on over to the free Redefining Wealth Facebook community and let's talk about this episode. Happy to dive in with you. That's it for me. Until next time, I want you to go live your life's purpose, find fulfillment, and earn more without ever chasing money. Talk to you later.